0: Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the Epic Classroom Podcast. My name is Trevor Muir and I like to talk about teaching, whether it's stories or ideas from my own classrooms or lessons that I've learned from other educators. I just love to explore different ways to help students grow and thrive in school, but also for their educators to do that as well. And so that's what this podcast is about. Whatever you teach or however you serve in schools, how can you lead a more impactful, dynamic, meaningful, and epic classroom? Hello my friends. Welcome to episode 38. I want to tell you a story. So when I was in the sixth grade, it was a really rough year of life for me. This was the year that my parents got divorced. This was the year that I was in sixth grade. So if I have any middle school teachers out there listening right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Or... Rather, if I have anybody who's been to middle school out there, you know what I'm talking about. Middle school is a tough little chapter of life for a lot of us, and especially sixth grade. It was a tough year for me. I mean, as I said, my parents split up that year, which was totally unexpected. You know, I come from a family of five kids, and we were just this tight unit. And then and, and I could have swore that like, the, the bliss and the, the innocence and the joy of childhood was just going to go on forever and ever. Cause It was really a great little childhood and then at the beginning of sixth grade my parents announced they were getting a divorce and it was like my whole world got flipped on its head and I remember just taking all of that sadness and anxiety but then also just taking all of the anxiety and fear that comes with being a kid going into middle school and you throw that all together and it was kind of a hot mess I mean that was just a year where I got in lots of trouble and I struggled and I was insecure and I didn't know who my friends were I didn't know if I had any friends I didn't know if I was worth having any friends it was just kind of in a culmination of all of it and uh, and that was middle school it was a tough year of life and I remember one time I was in my teacher Mr. Peter's class and this was the same week that I had to go to court and, and let the judge know which parent I wanted to live with, my mom or my dad. And I had to make that declaration while everybody was in the room, um, in this courtroom. And I just remember just carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders. And it was probably written all over my face. And I remember sitting in Mr. Peter's class and he comes over to me at the end while everybody's packing up and he says, Hey, hang on a second. And I'm thinking, I'm in trouble here. I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) What did I do? Uh, But he's like, just hang on a second. So I sit there, and then when the rest of his class leaves the classroom, he goes and closes the door, and he comes back. And I remember he sits down in front of me, backwards on his chair, kind of like A.C. Slater style for all my friends who watch Saved by the Bell out there. Like he sits backwards on his chair, and I can remember it like it was yesterday. Mr. Peters looks at me, and he goes, hey, I heard that your parents are getting divorced. And I didn't really know what to say in the situation. I was like, I'm not used to teachers talking to me about this type of thing. Heck, I wasn't used to anybody talking to me about it. Not even my parents really wanted to have the conversations we needed to have. And and so when this teacher asked me this, I didn't know what to do. I, I just kind of nodded my head. And as soon as I did, Mr. Peters goes, he, he says, oh, Trev, that is so hard, buddy. You know, I remember when I was in this in middle school, my parents got divorced. and it was really tough on me. Has it been tough on you? and And I just managed to say yes, although, middle school teachers you know what I really said I said yes but I said yes and then all of a sudden Mr. Peters starts telling me his story and what it was like going through the divorce and the struggle and the challenges and he just starts telling me the story and then instantly I started sharing my own story with him it was like something happened it was like somebody turned on a spigot and I just couldn't stop and for the next 15 minutes that man just sat there and he listened to me and while he's doing this his next class is piling up in the hallway, banging to get in. And he's like, ah, they can sit out there and wait. And this guy just sat there and he listened to me. He listened to me share my story. And then the next day after class, Mr. Peters comes up to my desk again and he sits around backwards and he did the same thing all over again. He, he shared a little bit of his own story and he let me share my own. And he started doing this every day, not for 15 minutes every day. He didn't have the time capacity for that or even the emotional capacity to be able to invest that type of time with, any, with me every single day. But he started carving out little bits of time to just sit and listen to my stories. And and it was like he knocked down this domino in part of my life's trajectory because there was something about this connection that was forming between me and this this old wise teacher. I mean, he was really old. He was probably like around like 30 or something like that. But uh, there was just this connection form, something about him being vulnerable with me and sharing about who he is and what he's been through and revealing this fact that I didn't know about teachers Th- this fact that he doesn't live in his classroom, right? Like he, he, he doesn't eat, sleep and breathe teaching. He actually has this life and this history and this story. And, and I was learning that, that they were connected in some way because his story is so much like my own story. And it was like something happened in me. Something about the way I started engaging in Mr. Peter's class, the way that I would pay attention when he taught us how to write persuasive essays or use semicolons correctly or all the other stuff you would learn in this class. I started engaging more with this content because there was this investment, this connection that he created, that he formed with me. And it was like he knocked down this domino. Because I'm telling you, friends, I started loving to read books in Mr. Peter's class. I started learning to love writing and expressing myself in his class. I remember uh, just wanting to be like this man, <laughs> like to wanting to emulate him and, and, and please him and, and, and do all the things that happen when you admire somebody, when they become a role model to you. And it started with the sharing of these stories. And here I am 25 years later. Telling you this, knowing that like this guy helped me single-handedly is the reason I became a teacher someday, right? Like I remember, like it was yesterday being a senior in college and being able to just pinpoint to locate that moment where I decided to be an educator, and it was it, it was in a conversation where Mr. Peters came up, and 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 just knowing that, like, yeah, this is the type of educator I could be. Like, this is within my grasp, and, and and there's a longer story to it, but it was so much connected to this guy. But then I'm also like, Mr. Peters helped me become the man that I am, the dad that I am. Like, he had all of this impact, and it started with the sharing of stories. And when I look back at all of this, and, and when I look back at the last seven minutes of me sharing this with you, this story with you, I think it's pretty apparent that stories carry this certain type of power, right? Like there was this power that happened in his vulnerability and sharing his story with me and the way that it somehow engaged me deeper to share my own story and that helped me connect with the content of his class and engage more and pay attention more and respect him more. That started with these stories. But then also, and this is kind of fascinating to me, I hope you find it fascinating as well. There's something that happened in your brain As you heard me tell you that story right now. There's this phenomenon that this group of researchers at Princeton discovered called neural coupling. And what they discovered is that when you hear a well-told story, when when you hear a story that has all the parts of a story, meaning it has conflict, and there's a theme, there's a big idea, and there's characters, and there's a setting, and there's a sequence of events, there's a plot to it when a story is presented to you in that way, at a subconscious level, your brain doesn't know that you weren't actually in that story. I mean, you know that you weren't with me in my, at my desk that day when Mr. Peters came and sat there and shared his story and there was this tension and this, and it was building to something. There was a suspense. You didn't know, you know that you weren't physically there with me when, when all of the light bulbs went off and when I started connecting with this guy and and you weren't there, you know, as I, as I shared and and experienced the life of the, the, the resolution of this and the way my life unfolded because of him, you weren't there, you just heard about it. And yet what this neural coupling, what this phenomenon describes is that your brain doesn't know that you weren't there. Did you know when you hear a well-told story your brain actually mirrors the brain of the storyteller uh, in that moment? Your brain can't actually tell the difference. It actually fires in the same quadrants and sections of the brain, has similar types of reactions as if you were actually in that story. Actually what they discovered... Is that your brain actually releases the same hormones as if you were actually in that story? So, for instance, when I'm telling you the suspenseful part of a story, where you don't know what's building up to, you don't know what's going to happen, you there, there's this questions that's just continuing to be asked as you hear a story, your brain is releasing cortisol, cortisol is the stress hormone. Your brain releases cortisol when you're under stress and duress and you need to make decisions to protect yourself. Your brain does that whether you are actually in that situation when you are under stress and duress, whether you are a sixth grade boy dealing with the pain of of adolescence and and divorce and all of that. It happens if you are actually that kid but it also happens if you are just hearing about that kid, and it's presented in a way that your brain can connect to. That's what stories can do. It releases this cortisol. When it gets to the climax of a story, and and it's all building to it, and there's resolution, and you find out that it's going to be okay, That, that, that the problem, the conflict has been resolved, your brain releases dopamine. Dopamine is the euphoric hormone. It happens when good things happen, and it happens when you hear a story of something good happening. When you find out there's a resolution to the conflict, your brain doesn't know the difference. When you develop a connection with a character, when you hope for a positive outcome, when you care about their well-being, your brain releases oxytocin. This is the connection hormone. This is the love hormone. This is what happens when mothers give birth to their babies. Their their brains release wild amounts of this oxytocin into their bloodstream to form this initial connection. And your brain releases the same hormone when you'd care about the outcome of a hero of a, of a character within a story your brain doesn't know the different stories are unbelievably powerful i mean i, I saw in uh, it, it was I, in 2020 it was in may of 2020 great year by the way just i can't recommend 2020 enough I can't tell if you can. Uh, I'm being sarcastic, but uh, in 2020, um, some archaeologists discovered these new cave paintings—not new, but newly discovered cave paintings on an island in Indonesia called Sulawesi. And what they discovered is that these cave paintings are about 44,000 years old. And so the archaeologists—they found these images of pigs and handprints and other implements and other types of animals that are on the wall of this cave that have been cave that have been carbon dated being about 44,000 years old. And what they discovered by analyzing these pictures is that these early people were actually telling stories to each other on the walls of this cave. They were telling their own story, meaning humans have been telling stories for at least 40,000 years before we even had the ability to write them down. I mean, stories are a part of what it means to be human. It's, it's, it's how we view the world. You know, not, We don't view the world through just a sequence of events. It's a narrative that we're a part of. And so it just makes sense as when you hear about neural coupling, when you hear about the hormones that are released in our brains when we hear a story, when we read a story, when we watch a story, when we experience and then reflect back on a story, when you hear about the fact that humans have been passing down technology and ideas and faith traditions and culture for millennia. Through this power of story, it tells us that this power, this this uniquely human attribute, stories are unbelievably effective at engaging us and helping us remember stories, are a part of what makes us human. And so, how do we take advantage of this power in the work we do as students? And I could go on a long time on this subject, and this is actually something that I spend a lot of time talking about. and so, you may know or may not, I don't know. Um, but I get to spend a lot of time going into different schools and doing keynotes and workshops, and it's usually something connected to this idea in some way. Just the, what happens when the human being engages in stories, or when we get to live out great stories ourselves with real conflict and real challenges, but then also uh, learning how to equip ourselves and be equipped in order to overcome those conflicts and challenges. Th- this is something that I spend a lot of time talking about. and so. We can dig really deep into it. And maybe I'm going to spend some more time on the podcast really diving into this. Um, But I think that we have this call as educators, as human beings, to find ways to take advantage of this truly unbelievable, maybe miraculous power of story in the way that we engage students in school. And so I think there's two things. And, and again, I'm going to unpack this more with you all because I love talking about it. But I want to tell two things real quick. Um, so how do we take advantage of this power? I think one, we need to tell great stories. And then two, we need to actually create stories. So let me briefly talk about each and then maybe we'll spend some more time expanding on this because I think there's a lot of applications to what we're talking about here with stories and the way they compel and engage us and help us remember that's really relevant to the work you do, whether you are a teacher or a parapro or a librarian or administrator or a school bus driver, whatever it is, it has implications for all of us. But anyway, How do we tell great stories and how do we create stories? Now, telling great stories, I think that is just something that takes practice. I mean, it helps if you were raised by storytellers, which I was, I loved, you know, my grandparents, I, from all sides of my family, we would, they would just tell stories from their lives and their childhood and made up ones and true ones and expanded true ones. Like I I was just raised by storytellers and you learn to start telling stories that way. But honestly, you also learn to tell stories by just trying to tell stories and doing it more and more and learning how to get better and better at it. But the, the, the reason I, I, I want to dig into telling stories, and I think, again, we could spend some more time, uh, another time really getting into it. But I just think it's important that we remember that when we pass on information through this format of story, it's actually remembered better. You know, we actually, our brains, when they do this neural coupling, it actually creates a physical permanent imprint on our brains. We actually remember information at a deeper level when it's presented to us through the form of a narrative. And that's why I bet you remember who some of your storytelling teachers were when you were growing up. Like, I remember these teachers that found a way to put a narrative to what they were teaching. I had a teacher named Mr. Whitney one time and, and before Mr. Whitney's class, I thought history, social studies, was the most boring subject that school ever had to offer, even more than algebra, two, I just hated history class because it was usually and I know I'm just probably speaking to the choir here. History class, history, social studies, it was usually presented to me as a bunch of information, just facts and data and people and places that obviously had relevance. And I'm not going to say none of it stuck, but honestly, it was not very compelling and not very relatable to my life. And then I had this teacher named Mr. Whitney. And I remember on the very first day, he told the entire story of the human existence as a story. Like, he, he, he shared it, and obviously it was big and broad, but he told from the cro man, all the way to where we are now, through this shape of a story with conflict, and there was big ideas, and, and, and he told it with vibrato, and passion, and, and suspense, and he told it all as a story, and I'll never forget it, and I couldn't get enough of this guy's class. I couldn't wait until the next day when he would do it again, and then he would teach us to do it, and we would start all of a sudden viewing history as not something that just happened, and we're supposed to learn about it. It's, no, it's a story story that we want to hear more about that informs where we are now it helps explain a few things about why things are now the way they are and the way I was able to understand it was through this story and the reason I wanted to pay attention as it was presented to me is because it's a story and my brain was mirroring Mr. Whitney's brain it was mirroring the brains of the characters that he was telling us about and this conflict and my brain was responding to it and it was compelling and it was beautiful. And what's so interesting to me is, like, my, my testimony of how s- history class was just the most boring class, the class I li- liked the least, seems quite common. You know, I talk to a lot, a lot of, of educators and people out there, and so many will tell me how much they didn't like social studies class, how they didn't like history. And that always just wrecks my brain, because I'm like, how could you not like history? It's just, it's the story of everything that happened before right now. Why wouldn't, why is that the hard one to teach? And it's like, I get it. Because standards and content for a long, long time has been geared towards remembering information and making sure we can teach students as much as possible. And so I think a lot of history teachers have been hamstrung by that fact. But then there's just this reality that I think sometimes we have to view our work as a story. We have to view uh, the content that we teach through this lens. And when it's done that way, it's so compelling. It's so engaging. And, and, and so anybody who teaches social studies and, and there's claims that it's boring, like I would remind my learners like, hey, this is the story that led us to where we are right now. And that's important, we should know it. Because it's informing who we are, but it's also informing where we're going to go. What story are we writing in this moment? And so, I don't know, that just really illuminated for me this need to recognize the power that narratives have. And I don't think it's just a thematic con- and content areas that we can tell stories, whether it's science class, you know, wh- whether you're teaching science and you're, you're talking about photosynthesis and the complex processes of it. Is there an opportunity in there to tie in a story? Could you tell the story of a specific plant, and how it grew, and, and the challenges it faced. Not that it's going to be the greatest story in the whole wide world, but there's this thing that happens when the human brain hears a story. It starts mirroring the storyteller. It starts engaging us more. It persuades us to do something. And, and so even if it's a simple concept and a simple story, and it's not groundbreaking. There's something really funky that happens in the human brain when it hears a story. And so let's find more ways to use it. And so we'll talk more about telling stories another time. I want to do a whole podcast on that because I've got some ideas on how to put together and tell a great story. But just know that that stories are powerful when we tell them. And so whatever you teach or however you present to students, how can you find ways to tell more stories? And I'll give you a little sneak peek. I think one of the best ways to do it is to tell average stories all the time, even making a practice. This is something I've done before where I'm going to tell at least one story from every day of my life. I used to keep this journal where every single day I'd be like, all right, I got to tell one story that happened today. And even if it's just something small, like somebody went around me in the parent pickup line, like the child pickup line, and it frustrated me, but I let them go, I'm going to write it down. Or, hey, if I'm at the grocery store, and I waited in line a long time, and I witnessed something strange happening, I'm going to write that down, or I'm going to tell somebody that story, and I'm going to just practice. I'm going to just do it more and more, because I found the better I get at telling stories outside of the classroom setting, the better I get that when I'm in actually in the classroom and telling stories, or when I'm on a stage, or when I'm leading a workshop, the more I'm comfortable I am with telling stories and that shape and how I do it and what my face looks like and my inflection and all of that, the better I get to do it when I'm trying to teach somebody something, whether it's educators or whether it's students. So anyway, one is tell stories, and then two is how do we intentionally create stories? If we know that the shape of a story has so much power, if we know there is this relatability that happens when we tell stories and we know the engagement, we know the brain science, if that's what a story can do, what if you could design learning experiences, actually your curriculum, your units and projects or lessons, into the shape of a story so that when a learner looks back at that experience, they remember it as a story they were a part of. So for instance, let me give you an example. One time I was teaching a 10th grade English class and I had an elementary teacher from a school in our district. Um, she sent a little video to my students, and she talked about how bullying has been a problem at the elementary school recently. And, and she knows that as 10th graders, they've probably sifted and worked through some of those issues themselves by now. And she was wondering if they could do something about helping her third grade students learn about why bullying isn't cool and what they can actually do about it. So she presented this problem to my students. Now let's break down what a good story is. A good story is always based around a problem. There was a mythologist named Joseph Campbell who studied thousands of stories throughout history, and he found that every good story has this shape to it. There's a pattern always found within stories. That's what makes stories so universal to the human brain is we respond To this pattern and on a very basic level he calls this pattern the hero's journey and he says in every good story you have a hero or a protagonist who lives in the known world whether it's good or bad this is what they know about the world and then he says in every good story there's an introduction of conflict he calls it a call to adventure and this call to adventure this conflict draws the hero out of the known world where they were comfortable into the unknown and it's in the unknown that you don't know your way around because it's unknown. You've got this conflict now. And so you've gonna, you're going to have to experience and overcome challenges and obstacles to solve this conflict. But he says in every good story, there's always a guide or a mentor to help you overcome these challenges and obstacles so that when you finally do, you transform in some way. You learn from the problem. And so therefore, you can eventually return back to the known world and the hero can defeat whatever the conflict was that drew them out of it in the first place. And the reason they can defeat it now is they just went through the hero's journey. They gained what Joseph Campbell calls the elixir. The elixir can only be gained. It can only be obtained from undergoing the challenges and obstacles of the hero's journey. And now this elixir makes the hero better than they were when they left it in the first place. This is the shape of any good story, and you've probably seen this shape or you can recognize it in any good story you've ever heard from Romeo and Juliet to The Lion King or any Pixar movie you've ever seen. There's always this this similar pattern found within it, and he calls it the hero's journey. So I started, when I started teaching, I I was working in a project-based learning school. It was a public school, but they adopted this model for project-based learning, and and all project-based learning really is is how do we make learning more purposeful and authentic for students, make it more realistic for them. That's really all it is. Anything else is, is putting more language to what it already is, but it, it's really about, how do I give my students purposeful problems to solve that they so happen to need to learn content and skills, that align with my class in order to solve them. So I started teaching my students in this pattern, and then we would sit around after the project and we would reflect on it. And students would start telling me the story of the project. They'd be like, oh, I remember when this guest speaker came in and announced this problem, and then all of a sudden we had to do something about it. And then we got to go and actually present our, what we created and it solved the problem. And it was like a light bulb went off for me. I was like, wait a minute. They're just telling me a story right now, and they remember all of the little details of it, because you don't forget good stories. But this is what I was learning. And so for for the children's, uh, the, the teacher, she presented this problem to my students, and now all of a sudden, maybe they realize it was a problem, maybe not, but now they're in the unknown the, 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 before the guest speaker, before the video of her explaining this bullying problem, my students might not have had that in the front of mind. They might not have identified this as a problem that needs to be solved in our community, but now it's been explicitly given to them and they know there's a problem. And so uh, what we ended up doing is my students started writing children's books with the theme, the main idea of how to eliminate bullying in our school and our community with the goal of we're gonna take these children's books and we're gonna go and read them to these kids at this elementary school to these third graders with the hope being that our stories that we write are going to teach them about bullying and the negative effects of it. So that was our problem. That's what we needed to do. And so now we're in the unknown. And as the guide, the mentor in the story, which Joseph Campbell says every good story has to have, as their teacher, I'm helping them learn how to write narratives. I'm lear- I'm helping them learn how to formulate a theme and tie it into a plot and introduce conflict and, and develop characters, all of the things that as an la teacher i was going to teach them anyway right like as a teacher those are the standards that's what they they're going to be assessed on so i was going to do it anyway but now their motivation for learning how to do short story narratives and all of the content i just described now their motivation isn't just because there's a grade at the end of the unit it's not because there's pressure from the teacher or parents being applied no their motivation is to help third graders in our community not bully each other right? The problem was bigger than just the grades. It was bigger than just my students. It was about serving somebody else. It was a story. It was a conflict. And so they were much more willing to pay attention as I taught them this content and then put it together into these books. And then at the climax of the story, what it was all building to, we went to the elementary school and my kids read their stories, their books to these students. Right, like, And that was the climax. And then when we're able to sit around afterwards at the the resolution of the story, or in the French, at the denouement of the story, we sat around and we could retell that story back. We could talk about how it was introduced to us by that teacher in the video and how they started working and collaborating and writing and putting it together. And then finally at the climax, they went and presented it. They're telling a story and your brain does not forget good stories. You remember it. Remember all that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. Your brain is attached to this format. And this is inspiring. This is what connects us. This is what moves us. And so we could go a lot longer and we will, but not today. So let's just sum it up. Stories are good. Stories are entertaining. Stories are persuasive. Stories are memorable. Stories are powerful. And stories are part of what it means to be human. And so let's tell great stories. Let's get better at that and let's create stories. Let's take intentionality and design learning experiences with real conflict that our heroes, that our students, that our characters, our protagonists might be inclined to try to solve. And it turns out you have to learn the content of this class. You have to exercise and develop the skills that I want you to do in this class in order to solve that conflict, to reach the resolution, to meet the denouement, and get that elixir that we want our students to get. So, I hope that makes sense. If you wanna dive deeper into it, you can definitely check out my book, The Epic Classroom. I think sometimes people think when I call things The Epic Classroom, whether it's my book or my Facebook page, The Epic Classroom, or uh, anywhere I put epic, uh, I think some people think it might mean like, oh, big and giant. You know, oh, that's an epic class. But it's actually, no, that's not what epic means. Epic actually means story, right? Like, and so how do we create a classroom where there's lots of good stories happening? Oh, and by the way, the name of this podcast is The Epic Classroom. And as you've seen, it's not all about big. It's about memorable. It's about engaging, and that's what good stories do. So, anyway, my friends, thank you for letting me be a little small part of your story. If you've made it to minute 30 of the podcast, I'm guessing that you like to engage with some of the stuff I make and create. And that is really, really fun for me. So, Thanks for doing that. Let me know if you listen to the podcast. Holler at me on social media. Um, and uh, if you are a school leader and you want me to talk to your staff about what it means uh, to do this type of work and how to plan learning experiences that do this, um, feel free to get in touch. I'm pretty easy to find on the Internet, but uh, you can just go to Trevor um, And that's all I got really to share right now. It is uh, September tomorrow. So I'm recording this on August 31st. It's September tomorrow. We are past the craziness, or at least I am past the craziness of summer and moving on to the nice rhythms of fall. And I hope you are too. I hope the start of the school year has been so, so good for you. And I hope you're connecting with your students. And I hope this is the beginning of a very good story you are going to be excited to tell at the end of the school year. So I will talk to you next time. Thanks, my friends. My name is Trevor Muir and this is episode 38 of the Epic Classroom Podcast.